Welcome to episode 68 of Cyclops is Waiting for Me, an X-Men the Animated Series weekly recap podcast and our X-Men 92 finale. As you know by now, I'm JC. And I'm Rod. And we're so thrilled to introduce our special guests tonight, the reason why this podcast exists in the first place, Eric and Julio Leewald. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, Rod. John, how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you guys so much for being here. Obviously, everybody who's listening has heard us mention your name hundreds of times over the course of this series. But real quick, if they're not following you for some reason, where should they be following you guys? If folks are fan of the good old X-Men, the animated series, I'm on Twitter way too often at X-Men TAS. That's for X-Men, the animated series. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We have a web page that's more, it's, it's a blog. It's, it's more like an archive at this point. But but please, you know, reach out, find us. We're, we're happy to try and communicate and we're happy to sell you a couple books while we're at it. <laughs> And also pins and hats at Comic-Con and stuff like that. And if you want us at a con near you, please let the folks you know near you that you'd like us to come. We'd love to go. Speaking of that, that book has been invaluable to this show. John has read it cover to cover and referenced in just about every episode. Ah, yeah. that's great news. Thank you. You know, all, you know all our secrets, though. <laughs> I don't. I don't read very well, so I haven't been reading it. But whenever I'm like, "Hey, what? What about that?" And he's like, "Oh, there's actually a quote about this." But my favorite chapter is the wit and wisdom of Beast, where Eric went through every episode and and pulled the quotes of Beast. So yeah, there you go. If you need a quote of Beast, there's a whole chapter of Beast quotes in the book previously on X Men. That has been one of the more referenced sections. <laughs> <laughs> like, where did you get that from? <laughs> Cyclops is Waiting For Me is our weekly podcast series where we're going back and watching every single episode of the original 1992 X-Men the animated series in the original intended script order, building up to the release of X-Men 97 coming in Disney Plus later this year. Some quick reminders. We're a recap show about a series that started now over 30 years ago. There are going to be spoilers. If you don't want this episode spoiled for you, pause the podcast, watch the episode, and come back. We don't have to worry about spoiling anything for future episodes because this is the last one of the series. We are currently not sponsored or affiliated with Disney or Disney Plus in any way, shape, or form, and we made it through the entire series without that happening. Good job, Rod. Yay. We cursed just enough. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget to follow us on social media at Cyclops IWFM on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. And of course, make sure to follow us on all your favorite podcast services. If you want to support the show, we have affiliate links and all the uploads too. These include Eric's previously on X-Men, the making of an animated series, which we reference constantly, like we just said. X-Men, the art and making of the animated series from Eric and Julia, which JC has a signed copy of, sitting proudly on his coffee table. Yep, upstairs. But now, on to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about Season 5, Episode 10, titled Graduation Day. Originally aired on September 20th, 1997, and sits at an 8.2 star rating on IMDb. Before we dive into it, Anything, anything that you want to share about going into this episode, love to hear your perspective on that. <laughs> well, if I can jump in just to clarify who I am and who Eric oh, is. Please. He, we, he, Eric gets all the credit for being the developer television by guy on every episode of X-Men. I guess called we, showrunner. We didn't call them us showrunners 30 years ago, <laughs> but everybody got a different credit. But yeah, that's what they, they call us now. But yeah, so, so Julia is one of the writers and well, yes. I was the the supervising guy yeah and so i was yeah although she was had a since we lived together she was around for all 76 episodes even though she only had took screen credit for two she did come up with a couple of the others and and was 
around when we developed every, you know every single one of them so so it's almost like almost like she was there the, the whole time <laughs> i was kind of a fly on the wall and when he says i was around it was because x-men the animated series was such a cheaply budgeted for various reasons it was a for company co-production there was no big pot of money that magically appeared to make this show so when these magic small bits of money came together to make enough money to make x-men there were no writers rooms there were no offices for the writers it was our dining room table where mark hill mark oh, Edens, wow. and michael edens would come over to our house in glendale sit with you and me around the dining room table and we, just vamp about well what would the x-men series be i don't yeah, know yeah, let's talk first, about it the way that was different from a lot of shows i mean <laughs> a, a lot of animated shows didn't have writers rooms i mean this is something that seems very common now in prime time but in our situation, it was simply Fox told me I needed 13 episodes that season. I and you know, writers would pitch me ideas. I'd pitch the ones I liked to the network and the ones that they and you know, Marvel signed off on. Although Marvel didn't have the final say, interestingly. They were a smaller company, and, and they were just thrilled to have something on TV. So I mean, if they didn't like it, it would often go on. But right. the boss, the bosses would say, yeah, that, that, that one works for us. And then just... I would pick a writer like Julia, and she'd write it. I'd polish it. We'd hand it in, and, and we'd go next. So it was like seventy-six little movies that the individual writer wrote, and there were not eight other writers, you know, punching it up or giving ideas for the show. It was just basically me and the writer for 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 all of them. But I, to emphasize, you were you were drafted to take the X Men, the thirty years of X Men comic books, and come up with an, a, an animated television series okay. that. That was you doing the, the heavy lifting to yeah. make that happen, and you were only given oh. an order of 13. Yeah, oh, tell, tell her to stop. <laughs> no, no, this is <laughs> no, amazing, no, please. No, no, but, but yeah, some people don't know that, that well, is that there had been no Marvel movies. It's 1992. There had been no real successful, certainly no X-Men shows on television. There had been the, the Marvel sh animated shows they tried, kind of hit and miss. Yeah, and the so, last ones were like Spider-Man from the early 80s at that yeah, point, correct? Yeah. Right. And so no one in Hollywood really had any faith that this was going to be successful. And our boss, Margaret, who's wonderful, who made it happen, basically put her job on the line. They said, if, if this doesn't go, we're going to fire you because you, you're insisting on putting this thing on. It doesn't look like a kid, any kid show we know. And we were all hired for 13 episodes, all the, the creative people. And we finished like July or August, and all the writers and artists were let go. <laughs> and we went off to work on some other stuff in the meantime because, you know, we needed a gig. Right. And while we were waiting for January to come and for the animation to get finished, because it was all hand painted and it took months and months, we, you know, we didn't know it was going to be more than one season. And they, they were, you know, the contract said, you know, they didn't have any faith that it would be. So that's really weird looking back that they just said, well, nobody knows who these X-Men are and superheroes don't, you know, comics don't work on TV. And, you know. So it was an odd revelation when suddenly it became this immense hit and everybody, you know, age two to 90 was watching it. And had, you know, literally we'd see these numbers like half the the TVs or more than half the TVs in America on at that time were watching our show. And that was, it was quite a revelation given the fact that we all loved doing the first season, but we all did it under this weird cloud of, 
well, knock yourselves out, but this isn't doesn't look like it's going anywhere. Right. And so, just want to, I think you mentioned Margaret Lesh. Just yeah. want to give her full credit. Margaret Lesh, the, the then president of new Fox Kids on Saturday morning, deserves all the credit, all the credit yeah. for saying, I'll, I will risk my job on this. And she did. That's amazing. Yeah. And I noticed that in previously on X-Men, like you, you mentioned that. And weirdly enough, my current boss at, at my, my day job has worked with her and says nothing but the greatest things about her as well from back in his, he was on the Spider-Man, like one of those teams. So yeah. 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 No, she, she made, she made it all happen. And mm-hmm. that's in, 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 I don't know if it's what it's like in other jobs, but certainly in TV, you're you're doing your creative work for somebody right and a lot of places a lot of shows we would have liked to have maybe done a little differently or pushed harder and we were told to dumb it down or simplify it or cut the rough edges off and margaret margaret was always no it needs to be more challenging this is great this is you know i want every you know, it's it was a real gift she and sydney i want her who was her right hand man who was mm-hmm. in the trench you know in the trenches giving us notes i mean Mar- margaret had to run the entire network sydney was the manager of five or six shows all the action all the boy action shows as they used to call them and so both of them had that same idea they said well this is you know this is hill street blues this is this is our prime time we want this to be something that any adult can watch and want to watch again and that and again never nobody else we ever worked for gave us those instructions so right. we're we're really grateful so it's kind of a miracle that we're here Long story short, talking to you about the last episode of a five-season X-Men run when originally it w- there was no guarantee it would go past 13. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. And, you know, Ron said something similar that all the instructions all of you were given were to not punch down to yeah. kids. And yeah. it worked. And, you know, we've been talking about what's currently happening with the writer strike in Hollywood and, like, how important the writers are. Because with, with you guys, you know, with the stories and stuff, like, that's really what kept everything going because you know we poked fun at some of the animation glitches and like little things and it's but that that doesn't deter anything we i think most of us prefer that over like most of the x-men movies that were made you know i don't know how you probably hear it a lot all that any of us from our generation wants is for your show to be made live action just use it as (laughs) previs literally your writing of the phoenix saga i just want to see that with real life actors if we get a third one in motion picture mode you guys did it it twice like successfully they hollywood has literally failed at it twice with the same guy like, yeah. I don't know him. He's probably a nice guy or whatever. But like, man, that was painful to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know. It's we, we. I think we were we we tried. We were close to the spirit of the comics. I mean, it's such good source material from Claremont. You know those mm-hmm. those stories. But I, I'm not. I, I know there's a lot of pressure that goes into two hundred million dollar movies. Oh, I can and, imagine. <laughs> and we didn't have the time to rethink and adjust and say, well, maybe we can do something a little different with the story or turn it this way or that way, or we're, you know, worry about open opening, you know, weeks grosses. It just, we looked at his story and just carved it down to what we thought was the core of it and ran with it. And that just, it's, it's so nice to look back and realize that, that all this happened so fast. We had no time to, 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 rethink anything 
and that it came out well, as opposed to, oh, gee, if we just had another few months on this and a double, double the budget, it would have been so much better. It actually, all these people that were enthusiastic about the characters and enthusiastic about the comics, you know, it, it, it burst through in, in, in the, the writing and the drawing and, you know, everybody. I mean, the people cutting it and the pe- you know, everybody involved was, you know, Ron, I mean, the people doing the music cues, which there was pressure all around to, do stuff more cheaply because X-Men is a very ambitious for the time, you know, show. It's just very expensive to draw all that stuff. Now it's a lot easier to make bigger spectacle, but back then spectacle was very expensive. Right. And to their credit, the production people, the Grazianos at Graz Entertainment, Stephanie and Jim, they somehow held it all together and, and brought us, you know, so much more on the screen than we had than they had the budget for, and and we kept on pushing them. Then they kept on pulling their hair out and saying, "Oh, you've given us, you know, twice too much to to animate here." Well, we just kept, you know, please try, and and they held it. You know, we're when we did that production book, we were, we were in awe of how all the people it took to just get you know a couple minutes of animation together and have it work at a basic level. You know, it's not as beautiful as Batman. It's not. It's not as slick as modern stuff. But you know, they made. You know, they made the episodes work. So I do have one specific question for you before we get into the episode itself. So, like you mentioned, original order was thirteen episodes. Then you went to getting four seasons, and then you got a final season. So you effectively had to do a series finale three times. <laughs> what? Yeah, what, exactly. what was that's, the that's writing well process of oh. that? Like, because. Like I, I've done writing for for TV. Rod has done writing for music. I cannot imagine trying to conclude a story three <laughs> times. That yeah. Well, I think I think the, the first one was easy because we hadn't imagined that there'd be sixty more stories. So it was okay. We've committed to this thing with the Sentinels at the beginning, of the first couple episodes, and we've strung it through a bit. And so just if we could just resolve that one pro this one problem about the people running the Sentinels. So eleven, twelve and thirteen. Yeah. So eleven, like twelve and thirteen. Days of Future Past Part One, Days of Future Past Part Two, and then the 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 thirteenth episode. Final solution. Right. Yeah. So it's like a three parter almost. Yeah, you guys also did better than the movies did. <laughs> yeah. Hands down. So so no that questions. was that one that one wasn't that much that that one I think Mark Mark and I were pretty were pretty much thinking about from from the time we did the pilot from the time we did, just started out the next one when we had really were trying to end the show with Beyond Good and Evil you know Sydney had come to us and said come up with some big four part spectacular to blow out and end and end the series on that was really that was that was a disappointment that was a quick professional you know fall on our swords moment where we had set it up to our all these characters were leaving, all the new ones were coming in to replace them and trying to set that all up in the stories and then find out that we couldn't end the series this way. We had to keep everybody the way it was. That took some rewriting. Luckily, I think there was enough spectacle and enough just, I don't know, I don't know what it was about it, but it didn't seem to bother people with that story, even though we were disappointed that it wasn't what we'd start out started out to do. That we had to fix it midstream and right. and and not do what we wanted. And the last the last one, as you know, we, you've seen in the book, it, the last eleven episodes were an afterthought. 
it was frustrating. Margaret was gone. Larry Houston was gone. We were, you know, we were still trying to do the best writing we could, but even, even our editor was gone. Sharon Janice was gone. So there was suddenly this, this, it, it felt like a little bit of a vacuum. And I think the first, the 10 episodes before that were just, okay, here's four or five stories. And we're just going to know in our mind that the last one we do, we're going to try to get everybody that's still alive and kicking and important to the series back together in one story. And that was the only real agenda we had on that. And having, I don't remember who suggested that it be an effect, we're going to kill it, or it's going to be Xavier's funeral, because that's what it really was. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think I thought up that up i don't want to take credit for it if if i didn't someone hit me you know later if, if i did. but so we'll have, that was a really rage on tiktok someone's gonna stitch it be like Eric, we all a liar. <laughs> right. but we're know, not on tiktok yeah, so, you it's know, a good decision <laughs> but but so yeah the basic that was the the ending story was a very simple story we wanted just to have a few things happen early in the story to get us have it, have him injured to get all these people together believably so that they could say goodbye the, the man who meant so much to all of them it still makes us cry you know it, it's yeah it's it's not it's one of the weak more weakly animated episodes you know there's not a lot to the story besides xavier gets hurt people care about him they get magneto together and they wave goodbye there's not much more to the story than that but it still makes us cry when Every, he gets to say goodbye to everybody. We're yeah. going to start yeah. choking up again. Yeah, right. Sorry. So, I, 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 I want to give just, credit to writer Jim Creed. Yes. It was mm -hmm. one of his. It, it, was, it was his first episode. It was his only script. His only script for X Men. Like, hi, Jim. Uh, you know, welcome on board. We're ending the series. Uh, here you go. And he has since gone on to be like one of the preeminent Batman animated writers for nice. all the movies and things like that. So, but that. Yeah. Jim, that was <laughs> his his one his one script. Rickman was the Great Swamp Song. I, right. I think that's amazing. I will confess, I I went into the season. You pro you know people listen have heard me talk about this before. We went into the season. It's like, oh boy, here we go. You know, but now that we've watched it, pretty much every episode we've ended with like, you know what? If it wasn't for the animation, it wasn't as bad as I remembered. Like <laughs> yeah. the, the stories actually kind of worked out. Like yeah. they they weren't like including this one. John told me before, like he was like, I just watched the the last episode. Like actually worked pretty good, especially with like what's to come. I think yeah. I said my phrasing was it broke me. <laughs> so, yeah. and like because I haven't even, watched it in twenty years, probably. So and also I think you know we're we're older now too. So the whole idea of like best friends coming together <sighs> before the end, especially you know Magneto and Xavier, like you know putting their pride or Magneto putting his pride aside and yeah. all that stuff. I was like, oh man, okay, yeah. But maybe when I was twelve, that wasn't as like you know we didn't get <laughs> it. <depressing>. Yeah. <laughs> No, that still gets me when when Magneto's there and Xavier's on his bed. Surely you have better things to do than you know yeah. with an old friend. Yep. And nothing's more important. It's like, oh my god, right through my heart. You know, thirty yeah. years later, still gets me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and honestly, when I went back through to, I, I hadn't seen the, the the episodes in about twenty years when I went to do their first book back in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, and. I watched them, and there were two or three in that last season that I thought were some of the tightest stories we did, like the the Phalanx two-parter. Yep. Yes. Those guys who did nine of the episodes, that that writing team, I thought they really had a really great cliffhanger. It was it, everything moved well. A wonderful guest star. Everything but the animation in that one would have made it one of my very favorites. 
of, of the whole series. And also the episode Old Soldiers was Old written, Soldiers, yeah. so good. Written by yeah. Len Wein, who yeah. is you know, credited as one of the co-creators of Wolverine. Yep. And of half the team. <laughs> half the team of X-Men. Half the team, yeah. And and quick story, if you go back and watch Old Soldiers, there's a fun moment where, because it, it's Wolverine and Captain America during World War II, and this is sort of a uh, look back at, at that time when they met, and there's a moment where they're having to go up this sheer cliff. Yep. Captain America opens a bag and hands Wolverine these repelling claws, and yep. Wolverine, oh, hey, neat idea, as he starts using them. And so Len Wein himself said, I, I, he didn't like the bone claws. He liked the adamantium claws being part of the skeleton nice. he gets. So I'm just passing that along to you. So that, none that, of us like the X-Men movies. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> no. That's, I, I love no. that confirmation. Like, <laughs> no, but I can tell you the guy who's, I consider Wolverine's dad. Yeah. He, he was not born with born, bone claws, according right. to him. So. Maybe we awesome. weren't in enough trauma. <laughs> he got melted in the series. <laughs> So I say we could hop into the episode. Episode kicks off and we see a bunch of protesters outside of a government building and we hear the end of the world speech coming from Gyrick. And I love seeing the references to some of those big moments and they were all disparate and different from each other. It didn't feel like it was just like, you know, one point in time, it's like, no, stuff has been wild for a few years now was yeah, kind yeah. of the the yeah. vibe I got from him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that part, part of that was we look back, you know, Jim and I look back and we say, OK, well, what what touchstones can we make for our 76 episodes? And that that was kind of fun. That was kind of liberating. And since since the story was so simple. Sometimes our stories get so involved, there's no room for anything, but it was so simple. We were able to add details like that. There was room for that. And there was room for getting all the different characters, you know, getting like 10 people into the guy's sick room at the end. Yeah. But but at the beginning there, yeah, it, it made sense to look, if, if this is going to be the summing up of everything, to, to touch base with stuff that, that they'd been through at different times. So one of the favorite bits from the show for Rod that always gets brought up in our episodes is Storm dropping something like a building or a boat on top of people. Uh-huh. So I smiled because I knew Rod was smiling when he was rewatching the episode and that moment was shown. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, the, the adults in the room were like, let's acknowledge how much destruction they've caused. Because <laughs> we, we, we were talking about the episode where Storm got whisked away to the, the other planet. planet. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And they were, and at the end of the episode, when she like is taken back home, or the second episode, she's getting taken back home. She's like, "I can't just let him die." I was like, "We just put him in a building, and then drop him." <laughs> right? That's kind of your, that's kind of your yeah. that's kind of your gig, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we never got into the, the X Men getting bills from cities for <laughs> right. the destruction they caused. Oh my but, god! Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's the whole first episode of '97 is just like the the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> And then you did this in Scotland, and then right. you did this, in- <laughs> and wiped out DC several times. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, Cyclops going to his his orphanage and just blasts a random building with his blast. It's like, I I hope that was abandoned, sir. <laughs> yeah. So as Gyrick is having this speech, we see Xavier arrive, and he gives the speech that I think now, even as an adult, resonates more with me of like, oh, mutants just are other American citizens, and you're treating them like prisoners of war. They just deserve to be alive. And it's like, you know, again, Rod said it earlier, when you're (laughs) 10 or 12 years old, that doesn't hit with you the same way it does now, especially with everything we have going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. And that was was one of the things I enjoyed about Xavier is that all the other characters got to be a little bit 
loose cannons and have their own lives and their own agendas. But he was he was such a focused idealist and such a a, a living mouthpiece for for this that it was natural for him by then. And it wasn't like I, we were stuffing exposition into his mouth. This this is it's genuine coming from him, and this it was his life. And so when that's what got him killed, you know, it was just it, it seemed appropriate. And you know the the thing that that stood out to me from from that was that shot of all the different groups watching so you had the nuclear family watching you go to the morlocks watching you know the the other family that has the kid with the glowing eyes so they don't know he's a mutant yet and then our favorite game on the show is when a bunch of mutants pop up on screen and i ask rod if he knows who the characters are spoiler i don't have a good score for this <laughs> But I, the characters I know in the Marvel Universe are because of this show, and uh-huh. then later the MCU, and then also, of course, the Toy Biz toys. But I learned I learned most of my X Men stuff through you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just just so you know, so uh, so much during the the season of the the fun Easter eggs and and cameo appearances were the idea of the artists because the artists were crazed X Men fanboys, right and. So you know, I, I get a call from Larry and say, "Well, you you needed three people in the background here. Can it be this person, this person, and this person?" And we double check to make sure we had used them somewhere else, and there right. wouldn't be a problem. But it was all them getting excited and saying, "Oh, wouldn't it be fun? You just need three people to get blasted out of this room. But why don't why don't we make them somebody that you know the fans will enjoy?" And so that because not being an expense scholar myself. It wasn't. It wasn't me pushing all this wonderful, these wonderful characters, and to fill out the scenes. It was Larry. It was Larry and his his staff of artists. And right. speaking of Larry Houston, who was on the art side, producer, director, artist, and just an ency- walking encyclopedia on X Men and a fanboy, and was able to figure out how to get that past legal. Because about half of them we weren't, we shouldn't have been allowed. All of them we weren't allowed. None of them. Yeah. Wait, Uh, wasn't there the loophole of Spider Man? This is the way you only saw his hand. No, you only saw his hand, but you didn't, but in the storyboard. And in the storyboard, it wasn't described as Spider Man's hand. It was described as as just. Mutant arm with web. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. And that got passed. And that got passed. Because he tried to to put him in before and the lawyers noticed the name spider-man and said no you don't have the rights to use him but you've got the rights to use them we're all marble right no 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 no, no, no. they were all different places and john semper had it took him a few weeks to get the rights to have a couple x-men visit on the crossover but that wasn't a given that was something mm-hmm. that took some legal action and probably a fee and it was a, a an odd age back then it, <laughs> it, it, it still is yeah <laughs> yeah so rod the ones that we saw at that point I know you know Sunfire because we've yeah. we've talked about him a bunch. We have the mask and then, this time. Yeah, the mask was a little bit different this time. Tusk, which is one of the ones yeah, that Rod is a fan of because of the action figures, because sure. he and his brother got that one. Who was the female mutant, Rod? Wait, I remember not feline. That's not right. Not feline. No, uh, You're close though. <laughs> feral. Yep. So feral. Okay. <laughs> hey. Which I lo- which I learned through the show. <laughs> yeah. So. Xavier continues his speech, you know, talking about how these people are not terrorists. They were the heroes that were rushing in to save lives. And cuts over, you see Cyclops, Wolverine, 
start to stand up. They, they feel like something isn't going right. Beast mentions how this has been going on for weeks and this was exhausting Xavier and it was finally getting to him. That's why he starts hacking up a little bit and such. And then I didn't realize it until this line was said that nobody else outside of the X-Men and a few government officials actually didn't realize Xavier was a mutant. Yeah, I, I think, didn't know that either. I think I've taken it for granted because I've been reading the comics since I was a yeah, kid. Yeah. But it was like, oh, yeah, you're right. They've never formally acknowledged publicly yeah, 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 that right. Xavier they was one. They didn't out him in, 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 until that, which is, which is odd to think back. But, but yeah, obviously... You could everybody can tell Beast's a mutant, and if <laughs> the, when when they're in action, but people that Xavier fought against, but again, again, it was always a little bit of a challenge to get him into the action because he's in the wheelchair and it's it's all mental, and a lot of the times he's doing it from a plane or from the the, the his home base. So yeah, he wasn't very public in his mutancy, and that's yeah, this strange thinking back that. That, that was a revelation to some of the people there in the room right and yeah i mean like we said we, we talked on the previous two weeks about the spider-man episodes and when peter arrives at the x-mansion he doesn't know it's actually a home for mutants they just know that charles is an expert in mutants and that was wild that was like oh yeah literally the entire public is unaware of this and it's yeah, such a pivotal part of of who charles is so yeah because like social media wasn't around so there wasn't like thousands of kids around, <laughs> cell phone cameras and stuff and recording yeah. every moment our only little little criticism of peter parker was like don't you work at a newspaper <laughs> <laughs> but we we're like well he's a photographer and he's not a very good one because he only takes yeah. pictures of himself yeah so, <laughs> so guy rick pulls out a device that essentially electric blast sets off a psychic wave that makes it look like charles can't control his powers and starts hurting all these other people and that's where you know essentially everything kicks off for for the like revolution of this episode yeah yeah and that was just obviously we wanted we needed to get charles damaged enough that if that we needed to lose him and in the end, I mean, not quite dead, but as close to we could be dead on a kid's show as you could be. Right. And so it's a little amorphous. You know, who knows what's in the, that little in that device, but it felt better. It felt like it was just added drama and and to ha- for the moment to it's not just hurting him, but it's hurting him in a way that unleashes this on everybody else, which you would never want to do, of course, which right, you right. would control. And that just it made it more poignant for people that cared about him. It's mm-hmm. like not only is he suffering, but he's hurting people he never would want to. Yeah, yeah. and and you know, obviously with standards and practices, you were never going to be able to have somebody shoot him with a regular gun. And if yeah. you did have that, he wouldn't have set off that blast that hurt these other people. So I didn't really appreciate this as much until like just recently rewatching it older and stuff. And I don't know how intentional this was. And we reference this movie a lot. I don't know if you guys have seen Get Out. John hasn't, but there. So you know, I've so, still never seen it. Yeah, and it's really I'm not, good. I'm not even worried about spoilings for him anymore. Because <laughs> you, know, you know, at the end, like when he finally gets out. Yeah. you know of the of the thing and and then the, the police arrive where you think the police arrive yeah, yeah yeah and it's like all they see is that last moment so like i'm you know obviously asian american i grew up in indiana and that is like a really common thing with people who are marginalized anybody that is like not on your side will just kind of keep prodding at you until you pop and then only cite the moment you know so i feel like that's with professor xavier it's like he like you said his entire life like we watched him from what like the 50s or 60s or something like yeah. promote peace and stuff 
And then there was like one moment where some guy just like popped his balloon, and there was like, see how insane he is? Like you can't control him. Like you can't, it, it yeah. is like really hit home because that's still happening today. Oh, you yeah. know, like we, oh, we yeah. see like news and social media. You see someone be bigoted. Like, see how these these people are or whatever. But you didn't see like the lifetime of microaggression or poking and prodding or whatever. You know, love too. So it was like I, I felt like now watching at forty that that little device, even though it was like kind of a quick like reason or whatever is like yeah. that symbolized like all of that like i explained yeah. like the here you know <laughs> yep and then gyrick gets pulled away and then you give us one of the most like heart-wrenching cut to commercials ever of wolverine saying he's smelling him and it's too late that was it's like oh my god i i'd forgotten that moment too it's like whoa <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah yeah it's 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 funny those those moments because you know we couldn't you're right we couldn't show people really dying we couldn't show people really badly injured but to be the most or one of the most horrifying moments was when when morph dies oh and and he really know, died he really died. he really did right we, really we, met, died. we met him to the first season and he's in the middle of this thing and he blasts and you hear him yell and then cutting to these close-ups of people's faces as they sense that he's not there anymore and it just was really, really creepy. And looking back on and it, powerful. Yeah, yeah. They, the guys drew it beautifully. Mm-hmm. Sharon cut it beautifully. It just was all yeah. all this thing about well, something's happened, and the audience senses that something terrible's happened. And you go through all these characters that meant something to Morph, and you've shown mean something to Morph, and they're all they all sense he's he's gone. And that was oh, that was great. That was that was horrifying. <laughs> And so right. this is not quite as powerful, but it, it, a similar thing where we're, you know, it's too late. Yeah. I think 12-year-old me, right before the commercial, would make a difference. <laughs> then we had to watch serial commercials. We'd be like, what? Wait, what happened? <laughs> yeah, that, that is the one thing that I think gets lost of watching this on Disney Plus, yeah. you know, decades later, is it's the cut to commercial, and instantly we come back, and they're on the Blackbird, and he's... He's, he's in horrible shape, obviously, but yeah. he's still there. So we see Gambit is flying, and then one of our favorite notes to put about any episode is Scott Yells. Because <laughs> <laughs> Scott yells a lot in this series. It's like an angry dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Put that down. Beast explains that luckily Wolverine was wrong, that he is still alive, and they hail the mansion, make sure to get the med bay ready, and to get Moira on. Cutting over to Genosha. We see Sunfire and Feral again. We also see Mariana, the little girl from the Morlocks, who is there as yeah. well. So loved spotting her. Yeah. Because I, I know like some people say that that is one of their like lesser favorite episodes. Yeah. I honestly always loved the Christmas episode. Uh, so I, I have positive I sentiment for her at least. Oh, great, great. Because, because you know, that was, it was awkward. And you're right. They're about eight people that say oh man that one just clunk for me but they're the two people that i watch it every christmas i remembered that episode so much more than the majority of season four and five honestly Uh like that's one of the ones i remember the most so and that's a lot for john to like that episode because it ends with a pun right and i hate Uh christmas so yeah well yeah well because it says like merry christmas the merry xmas yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) oh quick side note there just because we we lost norm spencer over the course of covid the voice talent for cyclops Mm -hmm. and i never got to meet him in person because all the voice talent was up in canada you got to speak with him when you were doing the interviews the interviews but we heard from everybody that he had this amazing singing voice, you know, and mm-hmm. so like when they'd be goofing around, he he could just he beautiful singing voice. When you go back and watch the Christmas episode, and he's singing, it's it's him, it's Norm yep. Spencer having to 
sing poorly, but that's the irony. The only time Cyclops sings in the series, he's singing really badly, but Norman right. considers himself to it really actually, sing well. It actually wasn't that bad. I think like, what, <laughs> what I think well, whoever was doing like audio mixing and stuff, what they did to make it bad was to put the music in a completely different key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> like the underlying music for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and one of something you that we none of us knew because we weren't there at the recordings in Canada. I mean, we get them. We 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 weren't in the room. We'd get obviously we'd get the finished recordings and we'd hear how not oh, nice the job they did. Yeah. But evidently, in the room itself, Norm was the funniest guy in the room. Oh really? It's just really he'd crack everybody up constantly, and that's Cyclops. You just do not think of him right. that at all. Yeah. But the actual actor was just evidently funny as hell. Oh, that's oh, awesome wow. to hear. Yeah. Especially how much we hated on him in the last year and a half. <laughs> Well, it's never the been the voice the actor. Yeah, it's not the dude, the character. Scott is sometimes frustrating. <laughs> yeah. We see Sunfire and Farrell are talking, and essentially, you know, they want to stoke the war. Sunfire has been talking to the mutants around the globe, and that's where we get the big reveal that Magneto is there and it's, is the leader of Genosha, because we, we haven't gotten a ton in that final season about what he's been doing. It's It's yeah. been a little ambiguous in in that final season yeah yeah i think it just was a case of we were as i say it felt like such an afterthought the season did that we were just thrilled to get the 11 stories locked and (laughs) and if we were light on people like magneto or if there's some stuff that didn't connect as well as it did the first you know the 65 episodes we did focus a much, you know, if this had been at season two, we probably would have built towards Magneto's presence in Genosha in some other episodes. That would have been fun. But at, yeah, you're right. At this point, it was like, oh, this that served the purpose of finding him and, and, and getting him to help Charles. I'm not sure again, exactly why we put him there, but it's been too long to remember in the story. But I think it makes sense that he'd be leading, yeah. the ren- not the renegade, but he'd be leading the, mutant- leading the mutants or trying to, yeah. who would hope to, you know, would take over or you know, the, right. the, yeah, the other side, as it were. So jump back to the mansion. We have Storm who's attempting to comfort Jubilee and, you know, We've, we've joked sometimes that Jubilee got left behind a lot. This was the time where it's like, we've already seen her start to prove herself in the most recent season, you know, going with Beast to South America and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, she's not a kid anymore. And she still feels like she's being spoken down to. I think a lot of us all related to that because it was like, if there was the sick grandparent or stuff like that, you never got the real answer until they realized you were an adult, so. Yeah, yeah. And depending on what age you were when you started watching the show, it ran over four and a half years, five years. So the audience was kind of growing, you know, perhaps faster than than Jubilee, but at that same moment in their own lives, like you said, sort of, no, I, come on, tell me the truth, what's going on honestly, I, you know, I, I can't handle it. Yeah. And even if it wasn't for her actual, like, numerical age, just the atrocities she has seen <laughs> joining the X-Men, you know, like, I'll just, I'll just grow you up fast, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because in, in that, like, one of the, was it season four, where she's learning how to drive. So we yeah. got her at 13, and at most she's, like, mid-16 at this point. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. You know, what it, and what is, the to me, the great episode, oh, God, she's been kidnapped she's being held on stage and she goes what did we ever do why do you hate us what did we ever oh, yeah. do to you and the line yep. is you were born yep. like, well, oh, okay that's boom that's it right there that's that, that's it uh, that's one of the the best 
single lines of the entire series, no doubt. I remember even as a kid that hitting me a little hard because you know, I mentioned like we, me and our family was like one of the only Asian families in our area in Indiana and stuff. And I remember like these kids at McDonald's making fun of me and my brother. And this was in like the 90s. And Jubilee being probably one of the few, if not the only Asian American character on TV. And so like even when I, however old I was, like 12 or 13 or something, hearing that and just having that incident happen at McDonald's or whatever, like, yeah. oh, wow, okay. You know, like... <laughs> That's why that happens. You know, it was kind of like an answer for me and my brother. My brother's five years younger than me. And so we're just like, okay, so that's why that happens. There's just people like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, heartbreaking. We jumps over. We see that Moira's telecomming to check out the readings and stuff like that and says, you know, this is beyond anything for our medical science. And Beast gets the inspiration for the Shi'ar. Which again, as a long-term X-Men fan, it was it was great to bring them back because they're so important to the comics and they've been a massive part of the show. But it was like, okay, we're we're bringing everything back in for this one. Everybody, yeah, everybody, yeah. And I would also yeah. like to point out, you mentioned telecoming. I like to think of predicting Zoom. Right. Like <laughs> There's yeah. a lot can of you, stuff. Can you hear me now? No, you're yeah. muted. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear me if I talk to you this way? Right. Yeah. Halfway across the galaxy. Yeah, there we go. And we get the reveal that Jean, unfortunately, can't reach out to Lalandra because of the unique bond that Xavier shares with her. Back to Genosha. Sunfire is getting increasingly frustrated because Magneto hasn't said anything at that point. And that's where Magneto shows up on the balcony and just gives this amazing speech about the revolution and it was like that is a leader that was such a great strong moment and it's now because of series like this when i read magneto in the x-men comics that is the voice that is forever in my head sure same way with wolverine and professor x you know professor x maybe you get a little bit of the patrick stewart influence but magneto forever is the animated version for me and Apocalypse. Let me just toss that in there, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. You guys have the best version of Apocalypse, too. I'm just going to keep that. <laughs> yep. but I, I, you know, I, I will say the voice talent on the cast was uh, lightning in a bottle. You know, so many things could have gone wrong. So many things had gone wrong. But those voices, they're the ones I hear when I see any kind of X-Men material. And so shout out to all of them. And Storm is my favorite, like, X-Men in general. And so forever, anybody that's cast, and no disrespect to Halle Berry or whatever. Right. But Oscar like, winner. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like, she's <laughs> not Storm. Because to be that, that Storm was established in the show as being this, like, Shakespeare. Oh, all of them. Like, very Shakespearean, like, regal and stuff. And even yeah. when she's funny, she's serious, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You'll, in the first season of the show, I, I had this thing going on where every episode, like, here's a Storm giving some cold truth to someone. Yeah. You know, like, like there was a point where, like, uh, Professor Xavier's like, oh, I failed. And then Storm was like, we failed together. <laughs> like, <okay>, Storm. <laughs> Not helping right now. <laughs> Love it, though. <laughs> Uh, and speaking as a woman in the room and a woman who was in the room 30 years ago, I, I am so proud looking back on the way gender was handled at that time at, for a kid show on Saturday morning. It wasn't an issue. Storm had the greatest powers and she could fly. So, you know, mm -hmm. come on. But right. that didn't pull any focus from any of the other X-Men. All the characters were treated equally in the best way possible. And I think we even made this observation in the first episode that the first action we really see are with all the female mutants. Yeah. 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 They start. They, they yeah, the, the big off. fight scene is them fighting the Sentinel and the guys don't show up until the tail end of it. Right. Yeah. Well, because Gambit's off buying cards at the card shop. <laughs> yeah. are you, actually, you're trying to get a date, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah he was. was. No. 
flirting madly he- with a cashier. Heavy, heavy come on to the cashier. <laughs> so Magneto's speech has inspired this group that that want to start the revolution. And we cut to the news and, you know, you see there's mutant uprisings around the world. Detroit has the National Guard. Hong Kong has instituted martial law in Tehran. And we actually saw Warpath up there on the bridge, which, I mean, we, we've talked about this in, in early, early episodes, but Warpath was in the original group before Morph was. Right. So yes. it was like a nice button on Warpath to, to see him there, even if he didn't have a speaking role. I, I, I bet that was in Larry. I bet that was very conscious on Larry's part to say, look, we put him, we were going to have him in the pilot. We didn't. We had his evil brother in the titles. Yep. Let's finally let's finally use him after not you know denying him for seventy five episodes. I'm sure right. it was in his head. There was the Magneto graffiti, which <laughs> I distinctly remember because I fell out of comic books right around the time when I got into like eighth grade high school, and I didn't get back in until after I was graduating college. And it was right around the time the Magneto was right campaign was going on, and the Magneto graffiti. I was like, they basically set this up in the show that. <laughs> other writers would then be able to to leverage in the future. Viva Magneto. <laughs> yeah, Viva <laughs> Magneto was a great one. I think this thing is, as we get older, we're like, you know, like, not that we say that Magneto was necessarily right, but he wasn't not not wrong. Like, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's 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 wonderful. It's wonderful to have the main adversary be somebody your main hero loves and respects, and mm-hmm. and vice versa. That yeah. is right. actually mutual it's, and legitimate. It's, it's not it's such artificial a gift, or forced. Such a gift, and we just ran with that. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. Versus, I mean, you've seen some of this stuff. A lot of a lot of comics. It's just okay. It's it's a wrestling match. Who's going to beat up who? This this issue, and that just was not what was going on between these two guys. So we see Xavier, I'm using air quotes on a audio podcast, is on screen and basically saying for everybody to stand down if they they thought what they saw happen to him, he wants them to take a peaceful route. You see Trish Tilby, who gets her cameo appearance, saying, you know, Xavier's words haven't really done that much. Rod, who's Trish Tilby? I didn't write that name down because it's been fruitless the other times, but I don't know. <laughs> No, there was that episode with the Guthrie family, and I had written down every name that you guys put. Thing, except like, for the Guthries. Yeah, he wrote down every other character name, but left out like, the Guthries. I know the girlfriend that's been everybody's jealous about. So, but I don't know. No, I don't know who Tristilby is, but I remember uh, hearing that. So I was assuming the, the Larry Houston inspo for this. Trish came from X Factor number seven. That was her original appearance. Whoa. She was a reporter in that story. Oh, okay. So all-time favorite, though, is Rod forgot who Maverick was about seven times until the oh, yeah. Maverick episode. Yeah. And then it was, yeah, then <laughs> then, it was clear. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Not a problem. Not a problem. Right. Oh, but since we're also using air quotes here, too, again, yeah. we're predicting the future. You got a little serious deep fake stuff going on there with Professor Xavier on the TV. Yeah. Talking to people. Yeah. I'm just saying, folks, we, we we knew it was coming 30 years it's, ago. We it's knew already, it was coming. It's already happening. They're yep. warning. We had, I had to warn my parents about people deep faking voice phone calls and stuff. I was like, Mom, uh, Dad, if you don't see my number on that screen, don't. <laughs> no, don't seriously. This, the, we were fortunate when X-Men came out and ran its course. There was no social media because the 
crucifixions that might have happened with ain't angry people, angry fans, just it, it would have gotten so ugly. Instead, it got to be something people rallied around and enjoyed mm-hmm. and grew up with. And now we can have the conversations about the show. We can't change anything. Right. We can't yeah. change anything that happened. Yeah. It all happened. It's done. But we're happy to talk about it and yeah. have those conversations and can do that in, yeah. a, in a more collegial atmosphere. Thank God, because we didn't have social media and, then. And right. just so you know, guys, we've been to six or seven years of cons since we got started to work on the first book, you know, month in and month out. We have never had one snarky question. Amazing. That's Might awesome. Be. That's incredible. It it's really nice. <laughs> that's it's that's really how nice. that's how nice that's that's how much love there is out there for the show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. I mean at LA Comic Con I, I came to the panel that you guys did and that room was packed. I I got there right at the last second and it was like there was one seat left in that room <laughs> and it was just the happiest group of people to to hear that conversation. So yeah. thank you for that. And I like to think in the story too that when Trish said like this doesn't really help anything that it furthers the point that Xavier was special in himself and not just his appearance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. because it was you know more of like saying the words that he would have said, he just didn't, still didn't have the thing that Xavier yeah. did or whatever. Yeah, that natural charisma that Charles exudes. <laughs> Morph is great, but he's never going to be Charles. But also, it was great to bring him back. You know, for the the grand yeah. finale. Like you said. Yeah. I, f- I actually forgot that he was in this episode. I was like, oh, cool. So yeah, he's still alive and not. As damaged as last not time. Not as damaged. <laughs> not as damaged. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out the transmission to get to Lalandra. They figure it's going to take up to nine months to get there. And it's a it's a pretty dour moment. And then I wrote this down in utter shock. Cyclops asked Wolverine for advice. <laughs> I think everybody was shocked by that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Including Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's you got you gotta love that's one of the things I love about TV series versus single movies. I mean, I grew up loving movies and came sure. out to Hollywood because I love movies so much. But there's this thing that you've earned after 50 or 60 stories where you can get a moment like that. And everybody that knows these characters has been through this with these characters. It's this huge thing. Whereas if it's just 40 minutes into a movie, it's not that big a deal. But if it's 40 episodes in, oh my God, we've lived with these characters for five years and now he's having a moment that I never thought he'd have. Right. And that's just, that's a gift mm-hmm. for TV writing that feature writers don't get, you know. Yeah, you, you get that in long form, you get that in TV, you get yeah. that in comic books. To yeah. your point, in a movie, you would, you would have to, it's like getting Avengers Assemble if they said that in the first movie, it would have never had the same reaction that broke theaters when Endgame came out. Yeah. Yeah. But that's so hard to get to that many movies to ever get that level of a payoff. Yeah. Cyclops tells Wolverine that essentially there's there are a bunch of mutants that are all traveling to Genosha. They know they need to stop Magneto, otherwise this is going to, you know, continue to escalate and if they don't have a leader, then it stops the war. And then we get Jean who pops in. And I love Wolverine's reaction to it cuz he's just completely shocked that she's there. It's like She's the one who could read the minds of everybody in the mansion. Yeah. And especially if you're stressed, she's she's vibing off that. She knows you're not having a, a good time right now and is hearing all the inner emotional screams that you're having at that time. Yeah, she she was she was great. great. She was like the, mm-hmm. the glue that held the heart of the team. And yeah. when we were first writing the first season, she wasn't somebody that either Fox or Marvel thought was that big of a deal. You know, Wolverine was exciting and and Cyclops was was important, and and 
Storm. We, Storm was, was, was spectacular, and Jubilee was our young person. But we kept on writing more stories, and it kept on coming back to that all the people would come back to Jean when there was a problem. Right. She was this this mother of the whole place that just had a relationship with everybody that nobody else had. And so she just became really important. Before you even get into Phoenix, she became, to us, to the writers, an important center of the team that we hadn't imagined before we started writing. And I did learn from the show that the only time you don't want to be around Jean is when she's in the kitchen at Christmas because she <laughs> was not having it with Gambit. Oh, no, she wasn't. She Good slapped. Lord. She shut him down. Yep. In the, in the Spider-Man episodes, we were talking about, like, why they sent her away, you know, so that she wouldn't be the easy fix for the episode or whatever. And they're like, well, maybe also. Like, she's gone through, like, two Phoenix things right now. And they're like, let's not tempt a third and put her around any radioactive things or stress or whatever for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> so Gene insists on going. And, you know, essentially, again, we interpret stuff differently. I never would have understood early on not planning on coming back it's like oh they're literally saying they're going on a suicide run right now like they they do not expect to survive this and it was like okay this is yeah this is gonna keep hitting <laughs> yeah i didn't catch that before yeah. and also like the nuance in the conversation where like was it i think wolverine was like it's like you got to tell her not to go and he's like i already tried you know it's like, yeah, oh, it didn't wow, work okay, the first time conversation yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. they hop on the blackbird they take off wolverine goes into very traditional Wolverine mode of like, well, these could convince him and he pops his claws and they're like, well, maybe we should try to keep him alive. It's probably going to be easier to convince him if he's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Part yeah. of me was thinking too, that was to help preserve Wolverine's life because he's like, well, you're made of metal. So maybe that would be the only thing that wouldn't stop. <laughs> 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 so maybe you put those away. Don't remind him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we get to Genosha and you could see that Magneto is expecting them and they jump out at the right time and they just, he straight up destroys the Blackbird without hesitation. That was a moment. That was, okay, yeah. boom, like, done. Okay, yeah, this is, this is, the stakes are rising here, but still, okay, everybody's still in the back of their mind. Do they have an answer for Magneto and do they have an answer for Charles? Right. So, yeah. And the quote from Magneto there was great, basically saying, you know, they were worth, worthy adversaries, but they were never going to be a part of our world. He has that deep respect for the X-Men and what they've tried to do, but he considers it a failure. So he has to do it his way, yeah. especially after seeing his friend get attacked and such. So, yeah. well, of course, we get the reveal that Gene has a little bubble, save him. But it's also a very rough landing. Yes. Yeah. 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 No. You know, Wolverine can heal instantly. He could technically just splat in the ground and give him a few minutes, and he could re reconstitute. But, but it was it was. Would would standards and practices have let you do that if you uh, had put no, that in not, there? No, nothing close. No. You only yeah. get one splat in the series. You <laughs> already used that previously. Yeah, there was the episode with the Guthrie family, which was one of the ones where one of the wikis that we reference for trivia facts and stuff like that actually had the breakdown of all the requests of standards and practices. And I was like, I can't imagine, like, cause that was only one episode and it was easily a page worth of notes of like, oh, this person can be on screen, but you can't see them holding a pitchfork pointed at somebody, like yeah. all super specific stuff like that. Oh so. yeah, oh yeah. And, but in this moment for the last episode, we, we need to give a major shout out to Fox Kids Broadcast Standards and Practices person, woman named Avery Coburn, who mm -hmm. her word was law. 
and right. e- even more than Margaret Lesh. It was not going to get on the air unless she approved it. And she was dealing with all the same Saturday morning issues, you know, any other animated show was dealing with, but she understood X-Men. And it wouldn't have made it this far. It would not have been the same show and it would not have made it this far if not for Avery Coburn. Yeah, yeah. Although my in the second season, there's a whole running story of the folks in the in savage in the savage land mm-hmm. and those were all written separately so they could be interchangeable with whichever episode came back that was appropriate point is all those were written up <clears throat> got sent to avery and there's one moment that i found it in a file somewhere but the the memo that that sydney and you got back from her there's a moment chaos is happening and and a and a dinosaur falls into a volcano while some big fights going on Yep. And so the fight's going on and she's writing about the fight and she goes, I'm going to need to see the dinosaur climb out of the volcano safely. <laughs> like, I love that. Yeah. It's like, it is a dinosaur and it's a volcano. No, but so that was the kind of thing that, yeah, the, the, that, that were, could hamstring you. And, and, and there were there were occasional things that slipped through because there weren't yeah. supposed to be any blood, but we had a little bit on his bandages. Yep. Wolverine's time, bandages early yeah. on. Wolverine slugging. Scott oh. in the pilot oh. was about a week long discussion. Mm-hmm. That is my favorite gif on Twitter to use. I will send that to Rod at least once a week, yeah. probably. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and just non X random related stuff. I'll just say something inflammatory yeah. to John. He'll be like, hey. and, and so, so, so Avery understood this. He said, okay, well, don't, you're not going to get to do this again ever in the series, but I understand it's about his grief. It's not about the fact that he wants that. He gratuitously just wants to hit this guy. Right. So, so those are the kind of adjustments she made because initially she said, take it out. Yeah. And there were hundreds of things like that that she'd say, take it out. And I'd gently try to persuade her with a long <laughs> memo, say why it was important in context. And 90% of the time, we'd, we'd come up with something that worked for both of us and that didn't ruin the moment. So, right. To her credit. That's awesome. I love. I love to hear that you were able to work through and and find something that you were still happy with from the creative side, but also wasn't going to get you in trouble too. Yeah. So yeah. they make it into the mutant camp, and then we see another cameo. Which this was one of the characters that when Rod did not know, I was shocked because Rod loves Mortal Kombat, and there's a uh, character named Forearm who has yeah. forearms like Goro from Mortal Kombat. You could see actually see Mortal Kombat playing on oh, the screen behind yeah. Rod's head right now. He has the arcade okay. cabinet there. They're walking through the camp and they get spotted by Sunfire and Feral. And I think we take a little bit for granted today that the X-Men would be the most prominent mutants on the planet. But because the internet was so nascent back then, it's not like you're seeing this person's face plastered in front of you 10, 15, 20 times a day. Uh If the X-Men were real today, the amount of stuff that I would see on Twitter and Instagram with them would just be... It would be terrifying. I would be scared constantly, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. But I, I looked at, it was kind of realistic, though, with his whole thing where he's like, he's like, I haven't seen you guys around here before. It's like, wait, no, I have. You know, you caused a lot of trouble last time you were here. And then there were a few cameos from the Mutant Liberation Force. Don't worry, I'm not going to expect yeah. anybody else to know those names, but I will make sure to thank Larry next time I see him for putting those in there. And then Magneto pops up and, you know, that provides the, the distraction and he gives the it's time speech. Yeah, they go up and, you know, they go into the the metal melty fortress of Magneto, which I kind of love the the difference between what you saw in the Phalanx episode where you had a very high tech base. Yeah. And then you move over to this and it's 
it's like essentially a, a metal cave. There's it's not a fancy. It doesn't feel like a a leader or a dictator. It feels like a revolutionary. Like it has a a grime to it. Yeah, yeah. They start a little bit of a of a conflict there, and it's one of the only fights that we see in the entire episode at all. The metal furniture gets thrown against all of them. Cyclops is like, no, we we, we just want to talk to you. We're, we're not here for a fight. It was important. Obviously, we needed some excuse to get Magneto into the last scene there. But it also felt right that he was needed yeah. to, to get through to, to save Char- his his participation was needed to save Charles. Mm -hmm. And then they give the reveal that he's actually dying and they need his help. And he instantly just stops. It was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, the world can win. Yeah. Yeah. The, everything just was record scratch. And he's like, why are you still fighting? If he's, if he's dying right now and Wolverine gives the, because he'd want us to. And it's the, so many emotions get captured in this episode. Like, like I, I know my voice is getting choked up when I'm saying some of these lines that you guys wrote during it. So, actually, now that I'm thinking about it in real time, like was this an intentional dichotomy of like how Professor Xavier, as flawed as he is, his like theology and his his whole spirit still carried on in the X Men, even though there he wasn't there. But the whole thing with Magneto is, if you took him out, then his revolution would go away. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 funny. It's like we wanted obviously we wanted to show that that Xavier had affected the X-Men enough that, that it would go on without him. And I hadn't even really thought about that, but I tended to think of a lot, most of the villains or most of the people that might've been sympathetic to Magneto as being kind of free agents. And we didn't, mm-hmm. didn't care. We didn't know them and care about them as much. Right. And there may have been mm-hmm. some of them that would have gone on if Magneto was killed and you know carried on his vision, but we didn't really get to know true believers that followed him. They were tended mm-hmm. to be more lone wolves mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Was, was that a, a conscious decision at the beginning? Because in the, in the comics, there was obviously the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and those were never as closely associated to to Magneto in in the show. You know, they were kind of working like with Mystique or as their own separate entity, but they were never his like henchmen. Like we yeah. got Toad, Blob, etc. in the in the books. The way you know you guys took it a different direction, which was yeah, great. I, I think for for Mark Edens and me, as we were laying out a lot of the stories, we were really drawn to him. And we were drawn to him as a really strong character, and we were drawn to him as Xavier's best, you know, bromance. Right. All I was those say, things. There's a lot of tension there. <laughs> yeah. All those things, and the fact it's almost like if he had a gang, if he had a posse along with him, it to us it kind of distracted from how intense and wonderful Magneto was all on his own. So I think we didn't consciously say, well, let's keep these other people out, but we didn't know the books very well, and we didn't know that some fans might miss the fact that he he was the leader of groups, and the people did follow him. But yeah, I just I think we were drawn to him as 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 a, a loner more, and and uh, a leader, but a leader as somebody that could could lead a revolution, but not as part of a group. And and that actually segues perfect into as he's realizing all of this, he has to question himself, what is his priority? Do I lead this revolution, which is everything he has literally worked up to from when he was abused as a kid. And, you know, you guys 
obviously never took the deep dive into it, but when he was dealing with with the Nazis in World War II, yeah. it's it's the most pivotal inflection point of of his adult life is which way am I going to go here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he already has all the troops gathered, and it's like, well, I can't regather them. Do how many more times? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, it, was, it was good. It was good to give him a tough choice. Oh yeah, and I guess like the little part that happened like moments before this was that he had accidentally amplified Jean's powers. Because like Wolverine was like, "What did you knock me with, Jean?" And she was like, "I don't know." Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Phoenix again? Let's just assume it's that. I don't know. <laughs> no. It feels good. I can, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he he actually was okay with that. So. You know, they, at that point, they do realize that it had amplified Gene's power. Maybe there was a way that he would be able to supercharge brainwaves because brainwaves are electromagnetic, which I don't know if I had seen that up until this point in the comics. I remember in the mid 2000s, there was a Grant Morrison run of the X-Men comics and they figured out, oh, if he wanted to, he could just pull people's blood out from them. And it was like iron in it. Yeah, because it has the iron in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's like, oh, he's so dangerous. It's unreal at this point. (laughs) Yeah. I have no idea if at that point we cared about the science or even the comic books level (laughs) science of what Magneto could. It just it really fit the story, you know, that he he became an amplifier. And so we ran with it to hear you say that because it, as a kid it didn't make sense to me <laughs> but now older like older me watching is like in hearing you say they like, talk about the scheduling and stuff is like it, it was really just like a scheduling thing right like the rush and everything like other than that like it, it, does, it does work you know now that i'm watching it again right so they have the moment of you know it's his greatest enemy it's his only friend and i believe it was cyclops who asked wouldn't he do it for you yeah that was, that yeah. was a great line <laughs> yep So now we're going to get to the hardest half page of notes that I have written down in this entire book, which is the entire series from rewatching. Like literally there's like five pages left. I went through this entire moleskin writing down stuff about this show in the last year and a half. So we get to the mansion and everyone is around Xavier and they, they say, you know, he could go at any time beast essentially explains what needs to happen explains the risk to magneto lets him know that he's at risk if this doesn't go well and we see the signal shoot into space and that's when charles wakes up this is like a real world equivalent of like a like donating an organ to a family member or friend right like yeah. you know, it's like a you're helping save their life but both of you are at risk yep yeah well, yeah we, well I'm not so sure Magneto himself was. But I mean, but, we, we, but we, we, we said he was. We, we said yeah, he you was said it, so I believe That's it. True. Yeah, yeah I believe you go. It. You're right. You're right. And, and so I, I don't, we're, you know, we're cranking up the stakes there. <laughs> uh, it's, yep. it's already such huge stakes to have everybody around his sickbed. Yeah. Right. Near deathbed and wondering if they can get through and if they can get through, you know, what that would mean. So, yeah. so, but I just, I, it was very much a planned thing from the beginning of talking about the episode and saying, okay, he, he needs to, he needs to say goodbye to everybody. It's like, it's like the end of the wizard of Oz, you know, Dorothy mm-hmm. saying goodbye to everybody. She just had the adventure with, and she's right. being, I don't know, the equivalent of death. Cause she's never going to see them again. But had so, yeah. any, had uh, anyone ever shown you the death of captain Marvel comic from, no, that was, I want to say it was the, the, the Sterling run, but it was a very similar vibe for me as a comic book fan is it was 
all the different heroes. So there was like Captain America and Spider-Man, etc. around him. And this felt so much more intimate because it was his team. So one of the sites that we, we go to for the notes, IMDb said originally it was supposed to be a pantheon of various Marvel heroes that were going to be there. Is there any truth to that trivia rumor? For this episode, it, it in that for moment. this it, moment right uh, there, yeah, seems completely. It seems completely wrong because we didn't care. A, we didn't have legal access, didn't have legal right. access <laughs> to, to, <laughs> any, to any of the other Marvel heroes, and if we named them, they make us throw them out. But B, we actually didn't care yep. about anybody outside the X Men universe, and since we just spent seventy-five episodes with these people, that's going to be the intense seen if it's somebody new or somebody that we've heard you know like even if it was captain america which we saw once yep he wouldn't mean anything to xavier i mean he's oh, oh who's this guy i mean <laughs> yeah. you know, why would why would, would mr fantastic matter to charles yeah yeah so so that would be a a, a fan fun thing in in a book but yeah that, it, that, it never occurred to us to, to do that Okay, well, myth busted on that one. That's always one of the things is whenever I I do the research going into the episodes, I will always try to like, I wonder if this is what it was. Because if it isn't written by you guys or an article that is quoting you, we always say like, comes from this fan wiki and comes from IMDB because, you know, it's just, it's so easy for people to make up something like that you know yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll put the, i'll put this clip on my tiktok and i'll keep you posted on how that goes <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah the second rod posts anything that's somewhat controversial on tiktok his phone blows up for like three days it's fantastic it's great, it's great. <laughs> uh, and then we get the moments with each of the characters i would love to know like it, like what is that what's that like to write that because oh. it's so Deeply personal. Like, there's no we, other way I could describe that. We were, um, we were crying while we were writing it. Yes, and and it's also, it's also satisfying when you're writing it because you know you're going to get a moment. We, we're going to have a moment with each of these people, and Charles is so. I mean, he's a thoughtful character. He's he's a caring character. He's an empathetic character, even if he has to be a leader, tough leader sometimes. And actually, in the books. He was actually, certainly in the early books, he was more of a, a taskmaster, which I yep. never, we, we didn't really play him that way. But so it was, I think it was emotional, but it also was really satisfying because he's the perfect guy. You know, Wolverine would, might not know what to say. Well, you know, you're, I'm dying. So what's, what, you know, what are you going to do? You know? yeah. <laughs> Charles is going to be articulate and Charles is going to be personal with each of the each his of students. It's like, yeah. It's like Mr. Chips saying goodbye to his students. It was the perfect setup for a, in effect, near deathbed scene. And the the thing that 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 gets to me hardest is, is Beast. I was going to oh, jump yeah. in here. I can see you starting to choke up. But if you watch the moment with Beast, Beast has been explaining medically what's going on in the Shira. He's but. But we come to Beast, and then he is rendered mute by this moment, and it's Charles Xavier who quotes to him right. this beautiful piece about you know when you find a true friend, you bind mm-hmm. to your hearts with, and and realizing that here the professor is quoting to Beast, it's like oh right. my That's god, it, that, yep. 
that I'm, I'm with you. We're both Perfect. choking up. I'm choking up. Now I wish we have a video of this because everybody, everybody, everybody in the Zoom calls crying right now. Yeah, yeah. That was actually what I was going to ask you is from all the 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 goodbyes that he's he feels like he's giving. What was the one that hit you strongest? So it sounds like Beast is is that for you? But each I'll, one I'll, of them, each one yeah. of them was so perfectly powerful for each character. I thought you know each one of those even. God bless Morph, who hadn't been there terribly long since <laughs> yeah. he came back, you know, so damaged. But the professor was able to speak to him and succinctly, but right on the money. It really felt like you guys were saying goodbye to the characters. Oh, you we know, were. Like, it, I, now that I'm older, I can see that thing where it's like, okay, there's these are the li- literally last four minutes. Yeah, that we're seeing these characters. At that time, we thought ever. Yeah, and, and thirty and, years and later, like, still haven't. Yeah, but. yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's a thing. We lived with them for four and a half years, and. That's, you always hear about breakups with TV shows and with movies, and they become so much your family that suddenly, oh, I'm going to, the, I'm going to my next job. And it's just, okay, I'm never going to see these people yeah. again. Right. Never going to have to imagine what they're feeling, you know, each one of them feeling and seeing again. And so, yeah, there was, there was that too. For me, I, I have a hard time pulling between three of them. If like, it's one of those, like, I can't, I can't pick one because they're they're also great but gambit hit so well because and we've referenced this a million times is he was the one that everybody believed would be a traitor despite the fact that he was on their team they all still believed he could turn on them so that that hit obviously because it's like no you've you've earned your redemption of of who you were calling scott his son Obviously, we make a ton of jokes about Scott in the show. Our name of the show is literally a joke about Scott. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, this is there. There's something so pure about the relationship. But the the one that hit me the hardest was Wolverine because he pulled the mask off. When he pulled oh, the mask yeah. off, that was the moment for the Wolverine one for me. I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have to pause in between these because this is <laughs> <laughs> this is tough. No, Rod. I, yeah, yeah. They were all they were so hard to pick from. I mean, I think all of them had these moments, like you mentioned, with even stuff that you wouldn't necessarily, like I wouldn't necessarily, like recognize right off the bat. It's like, yeah, Gambit has, to, you know, he said, how many times you have to prove yourself, and Wolverine with the mask, Beast with a quote, being just change up. Obviously, Storm. I was like waiting for that one. You know, she. I think seeing her reaction actually was like a little bit more. That might have put a little bit over the edge for me. The whole moment was just a really great. It, it redeemed whatever flaws that had happened in that season yeah. you know, for me and stuff. Because it was like really, you know, like you said, back to the writing. Like, this is a good story. And I just didn't appreciate it as a kid. Yeah. We've talked and talked about it and continue to talk about the the horrific budget cuts on the artistic side for the for last, last 11 episodes. Yeah. And look, in the year 2023, we can all sit here and take the long view of various TV series that have come to a conclusion and whether it was a satisfying conclusion or whether they stuck the landing or whether it was just, oh, it, yeah, eh. Mm-hmm. Looking back, and again, 25 years later, that that stuck the landing, I believe, yeah. mm-hmm. for the X-Men series. That It was so heartfelt and we're still choking up talking about it. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was so honest and appropriate for those characters. If you'd spent five years watching that show, this payoff was legitimate. It, it mm-hmm. was it was earned. It was it was heartfelt. And I'm I, I didn't write it, but I'm very proud of it for the show. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So after these moments, there's a quick flash and Lalandra pops up. Obviously we only got some Lalandra in the show. Like she was there for certain seasons, there for others. Did you enjoy writing for the Shiar and stuff like that? Because it was so 
high-tech sci-fi compared to some of the more grounded grounded stories that we had in the show, you know? It was it was very different. I mean, and in the first two seasons, we actually, there are notes to the writers, I remember from some of the meetings, oh, we're not going to do anything, you know, larger than life like that. I mean, mutants are large enough. Right. But the first 26 episodes, we very much thought of, the, of this as, as realistic and human level and grounded as we could possibly tell the stories out of all the 25 years of books that there'd been and there'd been some with all that spectacle in it we were very much trying to keep it grounded and mm -hmm. i think the, the nice thing was is that when we decided in you know the third season to go up into space it was a great shift because people had two full years of a certain tone and a certain look and suddenly oh my god we're moving we're, we're shifting a gear and so from the writing standpoint it was exciting and fun because we got to you know, use a different muscle than we'd used before with those with those folks. The main writers that I was, for me and the main writers that were involved with it, we tend to be more loving heroic stories more than fantasy. Mm -hmm. And I, obviously the two overlap a lot. So the spectacle of space is not like, oh, wow, they're in space now. To us, it's always the character story, no matter where the location is or how spectacular the powers are, it comes back to the character story. So that wasn't that much of a shift for us, but I'm sure it was for the audience that suddenly this grounded group of people, it, like suddenly getting a telescope and suddenly <laughs> you're out in the, yeah, it was, it, it was nice that I probably supercharged just that third season into thinking slightly differently about the tone of the show is all. Right. It just, it, it, it gave us a, a new, a new avenue. It felt like a very natural progression, though, yeah. to your guys' credit. Pretty progressive at the time. You know, the joke about the MCU until, like, the last few years is that only American white people are superheroes. Yeah. You know, but, like, in animated series, like, it was everybody to begin with. And, like you said, in the third season, like, oh, there's also outer space. So if you think people on Earth are weird, like, <laughs> right. there's some more craziness happening out there, you know? Yeah. And the thing, whole thing with Lilandra having that connection with Xavier, like, I don't know if there was any other show that was presenting to me, you know, as a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old that there could be a greater connection than romance, you know? Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people really were affected by that, that, that you, could, you, know, you could feel somebody across across space, that, that, that there was something super romantic about that. Mm -hmm. So we see a little Andra, and she is one of, she's probably the character redesign from the new art team that I actually liked a little bit more. I know the the first time we've ever seen her was was the traditional comic style, but this yeah. is a little more like, oh, she's had time to be the majestrix of the Shi'ar. Like, she's gotten a little fancier with her gear. She goes over to Charles, puts a device on his head, and, and says, yeah, you know, it would be too late for what you have in human science, but it's not beyond what we have for the Shi'ar. She says he's going to survive, but has to go with her. And then we, we see that, you know, the ship starts to take up, and you have the lineup watching from in front of the, the mansion, and then they all do the turn, and then you get that amazing shot of just everybody looking on, and then it's over. <laughs> that was that was perfect, except for the children laughing at the end. But the Saban children the laughing. We've had ongoing issues about Saban's calling card at the end of these shows, but... But it was, yeah, that you talk about sticking the landing. As much criticism I've had about any of the weird episodes and stuff, like that was like a really great. You screenshot that the background of your computer, you know? Yeah, perfect. It's if you just search X Men animated series, because like we will do this constantly when making the images for Instagram and TikTok and stuff like that. 
it's the Jubilee pointing oh, over Cyclops's shoulder one is like the the number one result because there was like seven articles must have used that as their uh-huh. their thumbnail and then the next one is everybody standing there in that line and yeah. i would have thought wolverine crush might have been number one but <laughs> well, that's up there yeah this thing. yeah wolverine. yeah that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we got john got me this yeah <laughs> got that for oh. for rod oh. and then i have all the ones in their vhs set still <gasps> right. not nice. open I just have nice. VHS cardboard that I have not opened next to and me. And a shout out to the artist, the guy that designed the, the designed the boxes is the same guy that did the storyboard for the for that last image, Dan Wiesenmeyer. Yep. Dan Wiesenmeyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I got to meet him in in San Diego, and okay. Rod's looking off camera for the image. I bought him that, so he has it there with him. Oh, oh my nice. Yep. Nice. There's also a, on. I, you, I think you guys saw it on Instagram where I tried to put it in a frame. I wore dishwashing gloves and I did. Oh, the, that was yes. That was that him. <laughs> yep, there it is. Yeah, no, you wore dishwashing gloves. That was genius. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah which genius. they were actually like they were actually like yellow. But or you something. said you were able to. I photoshopped it. That's yeah. way beyond my abilities. I'm very impressed. Oh, just <laughs> a, a, a fun sort of observation we made looking back at the series. So it, that 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 big ending. Yep. With the. The, the the mutant crew that perhaps the rest of the world knows because they've been the X-Men, they've been doing stuff. The series opens with a news report of big, big fight action police cars being tossed and it's Sabretooth. Yep. The, the show opens with Sabretooth and it sets up that in that time, you know, mutants, oh my God, look what they can do. This is horrifying. And, and legitimately so, Sabretooth is nobody's pal. Right. But so the... Like you were saying, what would the casual, what would the man on the street know about mutants in their world? And if you saw Sabretooth on TV tossing police cars around, you might have some real issues with right. the concept so, of this. So yeah. it, uh, the show set it up, I think, so beautifully from the very first episode and then to end with Magneto there with the rest of the of the students, if you want to call them that. Right. All of them, for at least that moment, together. I think it's just a, a real beautiful bookend to it. Mm-hmm. They're not students anymore. <laughs> they graduated. Yeah, it's graduation day. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about this episode. We, I mean, we've been we've been chatting through it for you know, about ninety minutes right now, and it was just so good. To your point, it was the perfect pin on it. I do have one other question for you guys. Sure. But before I get to that. Any other closing thoughts? If there's anything we missed about this episode that you'd like to drop, you know, would love to hear that. And then I got it. I got what I think should be a pretty fun question for you to okay. bring no, the mood back oh, up oh, a yeah. little bit. But, but again, credit to Jim Krieg uh, to have your first script on a series. Uh, uh, <laughs> talk about, yeah, that, yeah, that was a pretty, pretty yeah. high bar. He had to leap and uh, sure did. And like I said, gone on to big career, especially with Batman. But yeah. so, yeah. So. Last question for us for today. What is the question you get asked most at conventions? That way Rod could turn it into a TikTok and anybody who wants to ask you that, you could just direct them to that so you don't have to repeat yeah. the same thing every oh, time. No, no, no. But it's oh, whatever, whatever we come up with in the moment to, to answer that, it's always fun interacting with people, like right. talking with you about Professor Xavier saying goodbye to Beast. And we're all talking about, oh, he's quoting a thing to him and Beast is all choked up and not talking. Oh, my God. Those kind of conversations are spectacular to have with people at conventions and festivals. Well, I can think of. Uh, the, the two things, that, well, we'll okay. just we'll, we'll pick one. What do you got? Well, it's, it's, it's either episode or character, but I think the, the, 
the one to get asked about is who's your favorite X-Men? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest one to say. And in a lesser said, what's your favorite episode? For me, as one of the writers on the show, there were there one of the sort of fun things we would tease each other with, could you out Beast Beast if you got mm-hmm. to write for Beast? And that was always coming up with the most obscure quote that was perfect. You know, the, 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 and again, this was way back before the internet. Eric has... D- a dusty old thesaurus. And a right. book of Bartlett's yeah. famous quotations, quotations that you have to flip through to find way to, yeah, and you'd, we'd look for quotes in those things. Yeah, yeah. And again, he he's a romantic poet with the soul of a genius. He's my favorite. Beast is my favorite. I yeah. love him. And and in in my case, it's absolutely out of empathy. Xavier had all these different, very different X Men. I had twenty. There were twenty people that wrote for the show over mm-hmm. the four and a half years. No writers' room, but just individuals that try try somebody out. And they did great and gave them more ep- more episodes. So I felt very Xavier like through those four and a half years, trying to keep these twenty very different people on fo- yeah, yeah. you know on course and focused on keeping the show kind of smooth and together. So I empathize with the daddy character in the show. <laughs> awesome. And ep- Rod? Ep- episode. Oh, episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, um, oh, please. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you know, there. I'm not going to. Oh, there's so many. But but I I, I got to say, talking about graduation day today, mm-hmm. it's like, I wow, what a what a way to pay off a series. What a way to pay off those characters. And then I'm going to let Eric answer next. And I think I know what he's going to say. And yeah. I will agree 100% on what he's yeah. going to say. It's a two-parter. Can yeah. I get one part and you get the other yeah, part? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so it's it's one man's worth. That's, That's mine. Yeah. And, that is mine. And, yeah. And, and it's just, it was one of those things that the hardest part for me for four and a half years was coming up with what would be a good story idea for these characters. Because thousands of stories you could tell. And we end it, you know, there's 13 a year or so that we would be telling. And we come up with one is, okay, this is pretty good. Because as soon as everybody agreed there was a good story idea, all, most everybody that we worked with were good writers. So there was no worry about the craft side. Yeah. The worry was what would really resonate as an X-Men story. And so throughout a year, some would come out well, some would come out, eh. And then once in a while, there'd be this eureka moment where it just hits you, oh, wait a minute, we got to do like, you know, It's a Wonderful Life or City on the Edge of Forever, we got to do yeah. one. What would it, X-Men be like without Charles, if Charles had never lived? And this is Eric, he <laughs> came up with this idea. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so obviously, uh, I think Richard Mueller did both of the outlines. I don't think he got credit on both, but he did one and he did one of the scripts and somebody else did right. the second script. Did a marvelous job, but it's just the concept of that. A, that was my favorite concept, and B, I, we both loved the, 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 the flirting and the romance and then the marriage between yep. Storm and Wolverine, which we never saw anywhere yeah. else. Mm-hmm. Oh they're flirting God. in the picnic, they're yep. married, in, in the, this hellscape, in the hellscape, in this apocalyptic hellscape, and, you, know, you know, would you give up the whole world just to save Arlo? You bet yeah. I would. Why would I care about anything else? <laughs> so, some question about so, that. Now that you've mentioned that's your favorite set of episodes, we were talking about this when we were covering the episodes. Does Xavier remember that? Down there, is that what his nod was when they? Uh, well, <laughs> it's it's I, possible. I'm, I'm, tr- I think we, I I'm think trying I to remember all about. the twists of this. Just so you know, this this story took the longest of any story to write. Like twice as long as the Phoenix Saga, right? Because all the time travel and but would he know something and would she know some if they come back and they've been the the third future and all those questions that drive you crazy and there's really no answer to in logical gotcha. answer to in time travel writing. Everybody from 
on all this, we're asking over and over and again. We're revising, revising, revising. But yeah, I, I can't. I can't tell you the. I, th- I, think, I think. I think that was a moment that was was not supposed to be an. Oh, look, he knows, he knows, he knows. But just a little. There was a yeah. little like nod. Yeah, yeah I think. This yeah. And yeah. Look. Yeah. And, but I just yeah, I loved I loved how they like storm was quiet and and kind of sexy and and flirty and ask Wolverine and and he's getting you know in in the, the present day and all the present day stuff was a was was a to set up this big adventure yeah there it was kind of throw a couple of little throwaway scenes but the actors were wonderful in both of them mm-hmm. and as I'm sure you know Later, Bob Harris loved the story once once he got the fact that all the time travel worked, and that's he went to to Marvel and said, "Let's run with this and do something." And that's where Age of Apocalypse came out. Of. Right, oh, and wow. the the piece I noticed from it is because knowing what production time was for writing yeah. scripts and and what the animation was going to be, some of the character designs from Age of Apocalypse right. made it into your show. Yeah, yeah, yep. we, we 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 greenlit the episode like in december mm-hmm. and age of apocalypse came out like 14 months later but right. it took so long to redo the story and redo the story it was in from december to maybe july or august we're still polishing and they're still redoing the storyboard and larry heard that they'd started making the characters for Age of Apocalypse because mm-hmm. they'd had eight or nine months to think about it and talk about it and start building this world. So he called, he talked to someone at Marvel and he said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I used some of your designs right. in our show? I'm, I, there's still time to send them over to Korea because we've been taking so damn long to get the story <laughs> straight. And so we did. And so that adds to the weird, the weird confusion about you know, which came first doesn't matter bob did this astounding thing with the with age of apocalypse with six different sets of books and just took it to all sorts of levels but yep. just for, for the record i came up with the idea stealing it from it's a wonderful life and city on the edge of forever and star trek, trek. yeah yeah uh, but you know when you when you take stuff from from shows you love or books you love it, it you could use use it poorly or or use it well and it just it fit the X Men so perfectly. It's just mm-hmm. yeah. So it's that's, that's the one that's still. And and you've often said Great. you know, X Men the animated series is based on the X Men books. So the fact that coming, but but there weren't a lot of direct adaptations from specific episodes. I got to write one for Days of Future Past Part One, mm-hmm. but the fact that people remember the show so fondly is oh my god that was the best adapt- that was the best comic book thing. It, I think it was because of the fidelity to the characters, not because the stories were this one, that one, this one, that one. Right. But that's what you're drawing from. And then to have had that idea that could then feed the comic book world, that was, you mentioned that being a nice thing. Yeah, a it nice was great. Because yeah, yeah. We, we took so much from people like Claremont's writing and the stories and the, 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 the depth they'd given to these characters. And the fact that we were able to give this thing, this little spark back, Bob and he ran with it and they were able to use some because you know it's just it was it was a wonderful to give back a little and it's a Saturday morning kids show I keep saying that just really remember the, <laughs> yeah. what's going on here but there's a spectacular moment where you have Shard and Bishop and Storm and I'm getting who else in a 1950s diner 
And yes, I was going to say. Ah, yeah. And the waiter comes up, we don't serve their kind. And Storm right. says, oh, skin color prejudice. That's so How pathetic. Quaint. It's almost quaint. To which right. Wolverine goes, it ain't quaint. You know, apologize <laughs> to the lady. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, to be able to speak about that in that way it's it's just a few moments but it's like yeah that that got addressed that got right that i think yeah i think my comment when we were watching that episode on this podcast was like that they're clearly doing all this stuff like using powers holograms <laughs> on the table and stuff and the thing that the, the diner owner is like you know no black people in yeah here. No. you know yeah. <laughs> like every everything else like yeah. checks holograms <laughs> out of your fingers cool yeah we get it. Yep. And here we are 30 years later still having that conversation oh, oh yeah, my yeah lord <laughs> okay, uh, guys. Yeah. rod before i sign us off anything you want to add i mean th- you know just on behalf of like a whole generation you know, thanks for giving us like our first soap opera and yes. like it's super meaningful stories like you know i mean it's it's a bond that me and my brother i mean my brother are close now but like it's something that's been a you know an ongoing thread of like we just text each other all the time about different stuff about the show and everything and even as recently as dr strange multiverse of madness we got to see your characters come to life literally finally yeah. yes uh, <laughs> oh my god to hear that and music stuff, so. cue Oh my yeah, god! That, but also, but your your version of Xavier, <laughs> yes, yeah, was in there. In the, like, and I think I think like, I think it's funny <laughs> because like I I know like some passive fans were like, oh that that's cool, Patrick Stewart got to be in there. Like, no, it's the animated one in there because we all knew from the hover chair, oh, the hover chair, and yeah. the green and the music and the green suit. and the green suit, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, so and the, like, the rays that came out of his forehead that sort of yes, the yeah. <laughs> no, I was at I was at like a like a early ish screening of that and stuff, you know. So I ha- we had like the craziest fan base there, and it was like someone won the Super Bowl when that happened, <laughs> uh-huh. you know. And it's funny because it's like when you break it down, it's like visuals shifted by three pixels to make waves in the air. But we we're like, what? That's all, yep. that's all we needed. That's all we needed. Thank you. Yeah. yeah Take yeah. a note box. You know. Yeah. Like, oh my god, that was fun. That was fun. But yeah. It's cool. And, you know, like I said, like I went into this fifth season a little like skeptical just based on like my childhood memories and stuff. But they all checked out, including this episode. I was really nervous about this episode, talking to John about this. Like, we're going to have three worlds on. And I don't know how this is going to go. I did. You know, all, all the gloves off. Like, you know, we all acknowledge like the, the animation stuff. But like, I, I like this more than I remembered, especially when we got the last few moments yeah. and stuff with all the writing. Once again, support your writers because it breaks down to that, you know, if nothing else. Just a reminder, everybody, we're not done done. Listeners, after this, we're going to cover some other shows. We haven't decided what that is yet. But, but we'll get to it. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening along with us. If you have thoughts, please make sure to drop them into the comments for the YouTube upload or the Instagram post for this episode. Like what you heard, give us a rating on the podcast app of your choosing. Eric and Julia, thank you so much for giving us this series. This has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you, you so John. much. This is just, well, been, and thank you, both of you. This has been very special. <laughs>